Good morning. Glad you're here this morning with us in worship. We are talking about fear over the last few weeks, and this week and next, we're still looking at fear. We're today talking about the fear of the economy. I, as we were singing the song, Blessed Be Your Name, I, uh, I had to think, you, the part where it says you give and you take away, if, if you have money in the stock market, you have lived that. You, you have been living that lately. Oh, wow, that really happens. I, I, before I keep going, I'd like to welcome a special guest here with us. Harold Bullock is here, and uh, Harold was leading our men's retreat. And so, Harold, would you, would you stand? We'd just like to say welcome. <clears throat> Harold has uh, been my mentor for the last... A lot of years, over 30. <laughs> and uh, we actually, as a congregation, owe a lot to him as he's really shaped a lot of the things that uh, most of the things that I have set out to do in ministry. And uh, the way we've gone about it has been God used him to raise up men like me all over the country that are starting churches and doing things. So really glad you're here, Harold. Um, he led the men's re- retreat, men's summit, this weekend. He's going to lead a Growing Wise Kids thing tonight. And recently there's been another dimension added to my relationship with Harold since my son asked his daughter to marry him. And uh, Harold agreed to that prior to that question <laughs> after a long conversation. <laughs> But uh, so there's a new dimension to to our relationship. We're real excited about that. But uh, many of you probably knew about that. But just thought I'd throw it in there before we get going. But anyway, uh, I, I don't think I have to do a lot of work to illustrate the fear uh, that's being generated by the economy right now. Um, it's it's way past worry to the point of fear that's shaking many people's bones as we watch. Things begin to unravel or, or unravel before our eyes. Um, it's interesting. When Cindy and I were married, we were married in 1979. And uh, when, when I asked, speaking of asking dads if you could marry their daughter, um, when I asked Cindy's dad, he was very concerned at my career path uh, because I was going to be in the ministry. And he knew that wasn't very lucrative, but... I laid out my plan. I was very careful. I had, had it all thought through. I laid out my plan for how I was going to take care of her through at least after for her last year of college. I was graduated. I planned to work for her last year of college. And my brother told me he could get a job for me at General Motors. Pay, really good paying job, $400 a week. That was really good in 79, especially when your rent is $140 a week. So that's a good job. I mean, we were living high on the hog. I got that job about six months before we were married, my last semester in college. So I'd work the swing shift and then get up and go to school in the morning and then do whatever else could fit in there. Uh, In the meantime, after we'd been married a month, I lost the job. I was laid off because there was a gas crisis in 1979, and we were making Cadillacs. And so the Cadillacs were not, you know, really a very popular item in a gas crunch. 
And so I realized then that rather than living large for the next year, God had some things he wanted Cindy and I to learn early in our marriage in how to trust him to provide. And so as you look at what's going on in the economy, there's, what's, there's this stuff that's going on on a very large scale. But what God wants to do through all of these things is he wants to get to our hearts and he wants to teach us some things. One of the things I learned to do is I've got to put my hope in God, not my plan. I had a pretty good plan worked out. I had some resources in my brother to get a good job. I had it all figured out. But, boy, I learned early on in our marriage that my plan is not necessarily God's. And, and even though he doesn't go with my plan, he is going to take care of me far beyond what I could imagine. So that's what's going on. I mean, there's this large-scale uh, concern and fears that are ravaging uh, the marketplace and the economy. But in the midst of that, God wants to work in your heart, and he wants to help you to learn to put your hope in him. And as you do that, you're going to find out that he will come through. He, he will come through. Um, this is this fear of the economy is not a modern fear. It's been going on for centuries. People have been concerned about their finances. And Jesus spoke very well to this issue. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at back we're going to look back at what he said about dealing with this fear. Uh, he gave us first of all we're going to look we're going to flip the order in which he delivered this message on uh, worry and fear. And we're first going to look at reasons not to worry, and then we're going to dig into some roots, how to deal with the roots of fear, how to really get to the heart of it. If you don't deal with your fears, they eat away at your insides like termites. I mean, we all fear. It's normal to fear. That's a, that's a basic emotion that every human being on the face of the earth has. But if you, if you let them sit and simmer, boy, they really ruin you from the inside out. And God wants to help us deal with our fears. And Jesus showed up on the earth, and he said some very important things for us to grasp. First of all, he said, first reason not to fear, life is too important. Verse 25 of Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? You know, fear and worry make our lives miserable. If you just wallow in it, you just simmer in it. Jesus wants to help, help us deal with it because there is much more to life than just existing in survival mode. He, he really wants us to get the most out of it. He wants us to enjoy our lives. And it's interesting because much of what we worry about doesn't really affect the quality of our lives. Think about what some of the things that you're worrying about right now. Um, do you really need that? Will it make a big difference a year from now if you don't have that stuff? That, that's, those are some questions to ask. So life is too important to let fear eat away at your insides. Secondly, we are most valuable to God. We looked last week at how God has made human beings. He's, he's made us. We're not an accident. He's made us for a purpose. He has given us a place in creation that's, that's above the rest. We're in charge of the earth to take dominion over it anyway. We're 
at least given that assignment. And so we're very valuable to God. We're most valuable to God out of all the creation on the face of the earth. Listen to Matthew 6, 26, and then 28 through 32. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the, see how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. It's interesting. Um, God doesn't want us to run after all the stuff of this life and, you know, and, and just kick it into scramble mode to cover our bases in terms of our needs. He wants us to get after the things that are very important to him. Just like Cindy and I needed to learn to put our hope in God, as you choose to follow Christ, he wants you to learn to put your hope in him. Because when you commit your life to follow Christ, you're giving yourself to fulfill his purpose with your life. And if you'll live for that, he's going to provide. And he wants us to get after the purpose for which he's made us. He wants us to live for that. He wants us to go for those truly important things and let him meet our financial needs. If you choose to walk with God, if you've been walking with him for a while, you probably have um, some personal highlight stories. I have a lot of personal highlight stories about God's provision. In my own life, I can think of when we were starting the church, going, you know, wondering where the next week's groceries are coming from. Go to the, went to the mailbox and there's a check. Somebody, God moved somebody to write a check, send it to us. And all right, Cindy, you can go to the grocery store. That's great. He did that because he wanted this to happen. He wanted CIV to, to be planted and grow and get to the point where we could bless a bunch of people. Um, uh, another story, highlight story is friends, friends of ours, Neil and Melinda Walker, the first weekend we met them, they started the Christian Challenge Ministry at USC about the same time we started CIV. Well, one time, we, well, the first time we met, we were at a conference and we decided after the last meeting of the evening, we were going to go to the movies. We were both, they've raised support their entire ministry. We were raising support at the time. And we were going to go to the dollar theater in Norwalk, and um, I said, hey, I, I need to get some cash. Neil didn't have any cash. I said, that's all right. I'll get cash, and I'll cover it. So I went to the ATM, insufficient funds. I couldn't get a $20 bill out of the, the ATM. Neil says, hey, no problem. I got it. And so he goes, no funds available. <laughs> and we turned around, and there was a $10 bill on the ground. And God provided that $10 bill. That was enough for $4 tickets and popcorn and one Coke. So we shared. <laughs> when you walk with God and you set your heart on doing what he wants done, he provides. He really comes through. I mean, there are bigger things that God's provided, but those are some of the fun ones. One time, Thad and I were going to Pac Bell. It was a trip before he went into high school that I wanted to take with him just to 
connect and talk about some things. And uh, Pac Bell was a brand new stadium, wasn't quite sure if we were going to get tickets. It was sold out every night, 500 seats available. On our way there, Thad was worried about whether or not we are going to be able to ticket. All right, Dad, I don't think we're going to get it, because I had the wrong time. I had messed up. <laughs> I had the wrong time that we needed to be in line. I said, Dad, I'll, I only know to, that we can pray. All we can do is pray. So uh, we were in line waiting, and we're, everybody in our area was thinking, do you think we're close enough to get you know, one of the seats? And I don't know. We may not be. It was really in doubt. Scalpers were coming by, offering tickets, and no, no, don't want that. Heard, I heard later that they were actually making 2,000 false tickets, fake tickets, every game at the time. Anyway, a man came by with two tickets. He said, you and your son, are you and your son going to the game? And I said, yeah. And I said, no, that's okay. You know, I, I didn't want to buy the scout tickets. And he said, no, these are my season tickets. I want you and your son to have them and enjoy the game. And so I, I have a, a lot. As you walk with God, that's, that's not a need. That's a want, but it's a, it's a testimony to my son of the faithfulness of God. Yeah, Cindy and I never thought we'd own a home. She used to say, somebody have to give you, give us $100,000 to be able to buy a house. And it, it was 90. 90 did it, but somebody shared equity with us. She was a little off. I, 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 I got somebody decided, you know, God moved them to help us get into a house, and they shared equity with us. So as you, you are valuable to God. You are important to him. And as you set your heart on doing what he wants you to do, he is going to provide these things. He's going to provide your needs and bless your life because he wants you to enjoy it. Life's too important to worry and fret and fear over what's coming up. He will meet every need that you have. Third reason Jesus gives is worry is unproductive. Who of you, he says, by worrying can add a single hour to his life? No one. We're not in control of that. Worry wastes energy that you could be putting into solving the problems. Let worry be an alarm that that you need to... Take your concern to God. That's what Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says. Don't, don't have any anxiety, but um, take your concerns to God. Present your request to God with thanksgiving, and your, his peace is going to be given to you if you do that. So let worry be an alarm that takes you into the presence of God and, and the fear. Deal with it before it turns into fear. Deal with it before God. God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to live for you. I, I have my plans, I have my ways that I want to go about this, but I'm going to let those go. I want, I want to do what you want with my life. Will you, will you help me with this? Worry is completely unproductive. Fourth reason is let, we need to let tomorrow, uh, tomorrow worry about itself, or tomorrow will actually worry about itself. There's enough worry there for it. We tend to get wrapped up in how's the future going to go, what's going to happen next. Verse 34 says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, life is unpredictable. Uh, we can't know how tomorrow is going to go. We can't know the future. We're not sure how things are going to turn out. Most of the time, God guides by showing us the next step or maybe the next couple steps in our lives. He doesn't guide us by... Uh, 
putting headlights on the road ahead so we can see very far, but usually it's the next step. So we deal with today, and we take the steps we need to take today, and then we let tomorrow, we take the steps we need to take then. But let's not get wrapped up in tomorrow and worrying about what's coming. It's The guidance God gives us more like a flashlight than it is like headlights that look way into the future. And here's, a, here's an interesting thing. Tomorrow is going to be much better if I'm faithful to do what I know to do today. So I can't let my worry and fear about tomorrow keep me from doing what I can do right now, what I know to do. If you need a job, your, your fear level is going to skyrocket if you're not out there pounding the pavement looking for a job. But if you do what you can today to get that job, to knock on doors, go to places and try to find that job, boy, fear begins to, to subside. This is the way God's made us. He wants us to kick into action, to do what we know to do. If, if, if I put off what I know to do, fear escalates. But by doing what I know to do right now, it helps me deal with my fears. That's the way God's wired it. So those are some really good reasons not to worry and not to be in fear. Let's back up a few verses and look at what Jesus said about dealing with the roots of fear. How do you get to the root of it? This, these statements are made in the middle of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of Jesus' most famous messages, sermons that he preached. In this sermon... He's describing the values and the lifestyles of his followers, people who follow him. When you decide to follow him, this is, this is what it's going to be like. This is how you should choose to live your life. Um, it's full of statements and illustrations of what it means to follow Christ. And really to be a part of his kingdom, the kingdom of God, of which, of which he is the king. If you choose to follow him, uh, you can realize some important promises that, that he gives that will help you become free from your fears. Right now, his kingdom is spiritual. We can't see it. But later on, he's going to bring it in in reality, and we're going to see it and be in awe of him and, and who he is as we begin to get a picture someday of who he is as we move into eternity, as he wraps up history and brings it together. But... He's describing, if you decide to follow Christ, here are some things that he expects of you as you make that decision and as you continue to walk with him. First of all, he says, treasure the right things. These decisions help free you from your fears. We need to treasure the right things. Set your heart on eternal things. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 uh, says, do, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. I, have you ever seen a car from the east, an old car from the east that's been eaten up by the rust that's there? I hadn't seen that. I grew up in L.A. It was, I was pretty, I was an adult by the time I'd actually seen that happen. That's what happens to this stuff. I had a suit the other day. I went, I, about a year ago, I went to get it out of the closet. It had moth holes in it. Ruined. You know, it, it, it happens. This stuff, this stuff of earth, it, it's, it's deteriorating. It's depreciating. But it's not deteriorating. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God wants us to learn to invest our lives, not just spend them. And the way you do that is you wrap your heart and your life around the things that will last forever. God, his word, the people that he's made. As, as you wrap your heart around people, people are going to last forever. They're either going to move on into eternity uh, in a relationship with God or separated from him throughout eternity. And as you invest in people, helping them come to know Christ and, and develop a relationship with him that will allow them to enjoy eternity with him and the blessings that he wants, well, you're making an eternal investment. So as you wrap your heart around these eternal things, then you can, you can get over your fear of, of dealing with the basic needs of life because God's promising to meet those. We're going to look at a promise in a little bit. Um, most of us aren't really f- afraid, though, of uh, going without necessities. But we're afraid of not having the comfort and the convenience that we want to have and the future that we'd like. Or... We're afraid of facing the embarrassment and the humiliation of being knocked down a couple notches in our, the level of image we have financially or the status that we feel like we've obtained financially. That's, that's really what we fear in our country. Most of the world's surviving. But in our country, we're, we're more afraid of that. A key to dealing with the fear is to humble yourself before God and just say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to live for the things that matter to you. I'm going to wrap my heart not around the stuff of this earth that's going to deteriorate and rust and that moths destroy and that gets messed up. I'm going to wrap my heart around the things that are important to you. And I'm not going to worry about my humiliation. If you're focused on your humiliation and embarrassment, you're going to to choose to respond the wrong way. If, you're, if you humble yourself before God and ask him to show you how to handle things and to do things his way, he will begin to help you deal with life and your fears. Another key to dealing with fear is to focus on the eternal. I used to wonder why this passage was, uh, or why Jesus said this in between his other comments about money and uh, treasures. That be, be, it began to make sense to me as I thought about it. It says, In 22 and 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And and here's what he's saying. Uh, Your eyes, whatever you set your sights on, will determine how you deal with life. When, when you set your sights on the kingdom of God, which cannot be seen, without help from God, we need help from God to see what's going on in the world, to see the kingdom that's at work in, in us. Um, and we need to set our sights on that. Most people think that's stupid. To, to live for something you cannot see, to live for someone you cannot see. Most of the world would say that is, is stupid. But it's not a matter of intelligence. It's, it's a matter of spiritual vision that you get from God. He's got to turn the lights on. He's got to make your eyes good. 
and help you see what's really going on. God needs to help with this. The interesting thing is, if you live for God that you cannot see, if you get into his kingdom and you begin to live the way Jesus made life to to be, there are tangible results. It shows up in the way you treat people. It shows up in the amount of peace you experience in your life. Uh, The kingdom was described in the New Testament a couple places. It's a kingdom of power, having the energy to do the right things, to live for the purpose God made you, of righteousness, peace, and joy. Those things, as you follow the Lord Jesus, they begin to show up. They're tangible. You experience them. You know that he's right. And so um, we've got to see, we've got to be able to see what's going on behind the things that we can touch and feel and, and see with our eyes, our physical eyes. I personally need corrective lenses to see what's going on. I actually physically need corrective lenses. And that actually, that experience of getting up in the morning and not being able to read the clock has reminded me that I, re- in this illustration here that Jesus is using, it reminds me that I not only need physical corrective lenses, I need corrective lenses to be able to see what God's doing, what God wants done. And so, for instance, the Word of God is a corrective lens for me. That's what God uses. That's what Scripture gives. That's what God's given us. The Scriptures to help us to see things the way we should. When I start wrapping my heart around the stuff of this earth, it really helps to, to look at the stuff of this earth through Second Peter 3, 10 and 11. It's not in your outline or on the screen, but... So the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and the works that are upon it will be burned up. So all of this is going away. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to wrap up history, and he's going to bring in his kingdom in reality that we can see. Since, since all the stuff of this earth is going to be burned we ought to live, we ought to focus. says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of persons ought we to be in holiness and godliness? That's a corrective lens for me. As I start getting wrapped up in all the stuff of this earth, I need to focus on how can I be holy to God? That just means that I'm going to live, I'm going to live different. I'm going to be different from the culture, from the world. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to be set apart for his purpose. That's going to last. As I learn to do that, that's something I'm going to do through eternity. As, as, I, as I deal with relationships, as I handle my finances, I need to set my heart on godliness. How would God handle this? What does he want? When I begin to get discouraged and things seem out of control, Psalm 42.5, corrective lens. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. For I shall again, uh, I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. The, the psalmist David, he's talking to himself. He's telling himself the truth. He's putting on the glasses so that he can see what's going on. Don't be in despair. Don't be discouraged. Hope in God, because you're going to experience again the help of his presence. As we go through the ups and downs financially right now. Put your hope in God. God is wanting to use these times to get to your heart so that you learn to trust him. It is crucial that you learn to hope in God, not yourself, not your company, 
not anyone else around you, but in God alone. And that's what he's doing. Another key to dealing with fear is to choose the right master. Verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, many try to split their time between masters, and they hope that God's okay with that arrangement. But God, God demands that we make him our master. He demands this kind of commitment because there's a vacuum in our heart and life that only he can fill. And he only fills it if we trust him completely. We, we think, well, you know, you can serve two employers, so why can't we serve two masters? Well, it just can't be done. If when you make God your master, you can focus on pleasing him and leave the provision to him. Uh, when you divide your loyalty between God and money or something else, you aren't satisfied. It doesn't work that way. It's not designed. God hasn't made us to, to work that way. If money is my master, I've got to push all the right buttons and come up with more. I've got to, I've got to work my career. I've got to work my job. I've got to work things so that I can provide for myself. Careers are good things, but a career that becomes the dominant force in your life destroys families. It destroys relationships. So God, if God's your master, you work. You work hard. You work very hard because you want to honor him. You, you go to work. You do the best you can do. You, you, you give extra effort. You work hard, but you leave it to God. Set your heart on faithfulness and trust God to provide as you do the work that you know to do. Final key is to keep your priorities straight. Verse six, uh, chapter 6, 33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I found that God will not fund my goals that diverge from his. And he won't do, this, he won't do that for you either. He won't fund the goals that diverge from, from his goals for your life. But when we set our heart on God's kingdom, living for the things that really matter, doing what God's called us to do, God will provide. And as you walk with him, he's going to begin to build personal highlight stories for you of his provision. He, he will provide for you to live so that you can do what he's called, called you to do. One thing God wants to do with our financial fears, with everything that's going on, is he wants to get to our heart. He wants us to learn to trust him, to put our hope in him. And he wants to remind us to get our priorities straight. Set your heart on his kingdom, on his righteousness, and all this other stuff. He is going to take care of that. He will do that. Here are some next steps that you may want to take as we wrap up. Uh, if you'd like to... Check the box on your connection card and drop it in the offering. Let us know you're going to take these steps. That would be great. Um, first step you could take is memorize Matthew 6.33. That, that verse helps me and you know, when I'm starting to get worried. Okay, I'm going to focus on God. I'm going to focus on doing right before him and let him take care of it. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things shall be yours as well. That that promise is contingent on our choice to make him the boss. So you may want to memorize that, check that box, and 
let us know, dropping in the offering. Um, maybe you're, maybe God's spoken to you about trusting him with your future. You've been all wrapped up and worried about what's going to go on, what's going to happen next. And you just want to say to God, God, I'm trusting you with tomorrow. I'm trusting you with the future. I'm going to do what I can today, but I'm trusting you with the future. Or maybe God's spoken to you about getting your priorities straight, setting him at number one. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth we find in the scripture. God, I I am so grateful that you help us to deal with our fear. Lord Jesus, thank you for making these statements a couple thousand years ago. And thank you for working in our hearts in the presence of your spirit to help us to live these out. And I pray that as we deal with our fears, God, that we would come to you, that we would trust you more, and that we'd put our hope in you, and that you would use everything that's going on in the economy and our lives to build us up, to make us more like you, God. You, you, you want to do that? Help us learn to cooperate with you so that would happen, God. I ask for the power to step out, to take the steps that you put in our heart this week. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.